almost as though there is no more him and there is no more her. It's just them, as God had joined together in one flesh, just as uh, they were one, just like they were one person, and and was their middle name. In preparing for today and for and in discussing this topic with others, I was reminded of the example of Bert and Colleen Elliott. Bert was the older brother of the famous missionary Jim Elliott, who with four others were martyred in Ecuador in 1950. Bert was also a missionary. He but and as Jim was in Ecuador, Bert and Colleen were in Peru, first in the jungles and the headwaters of the Amazon and then in the high mountains, and later uh, in life on a coastal village. And as Jim was a leader, Bert was a servant. Whereas Jim was famous, Bert was faithful. And as Jim is celebrated, the story of Bert's life is told in the book, and I'm not making this up, is told in the book, Boring, Finding an Extraordinary God in an Ordinary Life. But title aside, the life of Bert and Colleen was anything but ordinary. They went out on the field on the age when he was 24 and she was 20 spent the rest of their lives in missionary service, 62 years in Peru, building and then passing on, passing on that baton to uh, to the next generation of missionaries. Bert died in 2012, and there was planned a memorial service for him at his commending uh, assembly in Oregon. It was delayed for six months so that Colleen could come back and attend. And in the message that was prepared for the memorial, the speaker in his rehearsals repeatedly found himself referring to both of them. The notes would say Bert would do this and it would spontaneously come out Bert and Colleen just because you couldn't mention one without the other. And then two years before the memorial, Colleen suffered a bad fall and the next day she died. And so the service was indeed for the two of them together. And that's what we have here. There is no more Bert. There is no more Colleen. There is no more Aquila. There is no more Priscilla. There's just Aquila and Priscilla. Or maybe it's Priscilla and Aquila, which is the second thing I want you to notice about them. They're mentioned by name in six verses of the New Testament. And in three of those verses, it's Aquila and Priscilla. And in three of those verses, it's Priscilla and Aquila. Not only is there a oneness between the two of them, there's an equality between the two of them. Now, we want to be careful in the words that we use, lest we cause confusion. The New Testament maintains the biblical concept of headship, which is the covering of glory to the honor of another. Jesus Christ covered his glory and walked in modesty so that the glory and the honor of God would be seen. The head of Christ is God, wrote Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. The church covers its glory and walks in modesty and without grandizement so that the glory and honor of Christ would be seen. The glory of a wife is covered and she presents in modesty and quietness so that the honor of her husband would be seen. Now, the world doesn't get that at all. The world does not do modesty. The world does not do humility. 
The world thinks that, uh, that, that, that equality means that each different group gets its own share of, of, uh, of, of honor or money, and it divides the world by demographics, by race, by class, by ethnicity, by gender. And I guess that's okay because that's the best the world can do. But the Bible operates on a whole other plane based not on dividing resources and honor among groups, but by emphasizing the unity that is in Christ. Paul writes, rather, that for as many as you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. And and this, nevertheless, that neither is man independent from woman, nor woman independent from man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you to indulge me for five minutes. And I'd like to talk with you about Greek literature and drama. I know how exciting that sounds. And I promise you that it will only be five minutes. And I do it because to realize the magnitude of the revolution taught by the gospel concerning men and women and marriage and epitomized by Aquila and Priscilla, and to realize the magnitude of the change that was brought, we need to consider it in the context of its own time. We should look at it through the eyes of Priscilla and Aquila. Here in Acts 18, we're in the city of Corinth, the apex of the ancient world with its science and democracy and its art and its literature. And indeed, much of the culture of the Western world was cradled there. In that society, women were considered property. The fact is, it is well to state it plainly that the Greek world perished from one main cause, a low ideal of womanhood and a degradation of women from which found, which found expression both in literature and in social life. The position of women was the position of slaves, where the two of them went together. Women were so much considered property that marriage was a transaction between two men. A father would literally sell his daughters to the highest bidder as wife, could even bequeath his daughters in his will, which, by the way, is where the language comes from in our marriage ceremony. Who gives this man, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And so in the great Greek dramas, you find language like this. And we'll start with some Sophocles. We women are nothing. Happy indeed is our childhood, for then we were thoughtless. But when we attain maidenhood, lo, we are driven away from our homes and sold as merchandise and compelled to marry and say, all's well. Or, if you don't like Sophocles, here's some Euripides. This is from the Medea, which is among the greatest of Greek dramas, and is a play that is still done today. Of all of Earth's creatures that live and breathe, are we women not the wretchedest? First must needs as buys the highest bidder, thus buys a husband in our body's master. We are his, 
Our lives depend on how our Lordship feels. He's ours and ours he stays. If he's satisfied, if he lives content, congratulations. If not, we're better off dead. I can cite your lines from Helen of Troy and Cassandra and the Sirens and Psyche, but to cut to the chase, I will tell you that it is almost impossible to find a female character in all of Greek literature to be admired. The only exception I can think of is Antigone, and Antigone ends up banished and dead. It is almost impossible to find a loving marriage, and I cannot anywhere in Greek drama find a woman who is happy. And I looked. Acts 18 takes place in Corinth. It is into that society that we have just talked about where women were property and nothing more, where we read as in Euripides, he's our body's master. It is into that world that the gospel of Jesus Christ came like a shaft of light into a dark place. And Paul wrote this, that the husband render unto his wife the affection due to her. And likewise, let the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise... The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. People usually discuss that verse as one concerning sexual relations, but I think it goes much further than that. Hey, everything I do, I do in my body. And so I think that that verse goes as far as every commonplace daily way that a husband can show affection and honor to his wife, and a wife can show affection and honor to her husband, serving one another, supporting one another. It is the triumph of the gospel that we accept those words as obviously true. In the world into which they were written, they were revolutionary. They were almost unbelievable. Nobody had ever heard of such a thing. The Western world has spent thousands of years trying to catch up with what the with, with what Paul wrote in that first century concerning men and women, and the rest of the world has barely started. End of my five minutes. Aquila and Priscilla operate as a partnership, as an economic partnership, as a, as a ministry partnership. You cannot find a marriage like theirs anywhere in Greek literature, and yet marriages like theirs abound in the pages of the New Testament. Paul wrote a letter to Philemon, who lived in Colossae, we call this letter the epistle to the Phile- epistle to Philemon, but actually it's not. Actually, it's addressed to Philemon and his wife, Athea. Paul calls her the beloved Athea. In Romans chapter 16, Paul sends greetings to Christians there, and he mentions several married couples, Andronicus and Eunia. He says that they were in the that they were of note among the apostles. Again, notice the plural, not that he was, but that they were, and they were in Christ before me. Philologus and Eulia, again speaking of them as though they were one person, the way as if he was writing to you at your conference. He might send met greetings to. Now you can probably fill in a lot of names with and in the middle. Peter says that a husband and wife are heirs together of eternal life. So here are Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila, who found their way to Corinth, making tents and living a whole new life in the gospel. 
life on a new basis and a higher plane than the world had ever imagined, both in their marriage and in their business trade. And in Acts 18, verse 18, Paul leaves Corinth and he goes to Ephesus. And Priscilla and Aquila go with him. I would love to draw back the curtain and hear the conversations that they had in Corinth as they decided to go on together to Ephesus. I imagine Paul bringing it up. Come with me to Ephesus. Start a work there. And Aquila and Priscilla talking to Paul about it and then talking alone. Corinth is not really home. There's nothing that's holding us here. We've worked here for 18 months. Church can stand on its own. Let's start something new. Let's go. There's an excitement in that verse. There's an adventure. There's the idea of taking new ground. That's what missions work is all about. And so they go. Paul doesn't stay long in Ephesus. He's pushing on to get to Antioch and then to Jerusalem. But but Aquila and Priscilla stay and work and minister in Ephesus. And that's where they meet Apollos, which I mentioned earlier. And a few years later, on his third missionary journey, Paul arrives back in Ephesus and he finds the church there strong and healthy and growing. And it is from Ephesus that he writes what we call 1 Corinthians, back to the people and that church where he spent 18 months. And at the end of the letter, the end of 1 Corinthians, he tells them that here in Ephesus, a great and effective door has been opened to him and to the gospel Then he adds this, the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. I love that verse. Aquila and Priscilla have taken new ground for the gospel and they are holding it. There is a unity and a strength. And a wholesomeness in that verse. You can hear it in just those words. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord. And now there's a church that's in their home. In New Testament days, there would be no church building. And so churches would meet in the homes of Christians the way the church of Colossae met at the home of Philemon and Aphia. So here in Ephesus... Where a good and where great and effective door has been opened for the gospel, the church meets in the home of Aquila and Priscilla. They had been in Ephesus for about three years, as best I can tell. And they're about to move again. In A.D. 54, Claudius Caesar died. And he was followed to the throne by his stepson, a brash young man named Neo Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, who history just knows as Nero. Nero comes to power, anxious to show grace and win favor. Among his first act is to lift the expulsion of the Jews from Rome. Word reaches Ephesus, and Aquila and Priscilla talk about going back. Again, I can just imagine the conversations that they have when they get the news and then the conversations in Ephesus and the farewell fellowship like you would have 
And it's about another three years after that, Paul writes his famous letter to the Christians in Rome. And at the end of the letter, he sends greetings to those in Rome that he knew. And the first ones that he mentions are Aquila and Priscilla. He calls them my fate, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, which is the phrase that Paul used when he really wanted to compliment someone. My favorite, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He says that they risked their own necks for my life. There had been violence in Corinth in Acts 18. There had been violence in Ephesus in Acts 19. I expect that there were many stories of heroism that we don't know about And Aquila and Priscilla had been right there. They had risked their necks for Paul. And Paul said, I give thanks for them. Paul says, I don't, doesn't say I give thanks. He doesn't say I give thanks for them. He says, I give thanks to them. I give thanks to them for their fellowship. I give thanks to them for their effort. I give thanks to them for their sacrifice and their sharing and their work in the gospel. I give thanks to them for the hundredth times I relied upon them and that they came through. And Paul says, not only do I give thanks to them, but so do all the churches of the Gentiles. Aquila and Priscilla were Jews. But when Jesus Christ broke down the wall of separation, they were among the first over the rubble, extending a hand of faith and fellowship. And then Paul says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Would you expect anything different? Just like they ministered in Corinth and took Paul in to stay with them, just as they went to Ephesus and the church met in their house, now they're back in Rome. And again, at the center of their ministry, offering their home, building the work. The last view we get of them is years later in Paul's last letter. The same letter that Steve is speaking from. Written days before his death to Timothy. Paul is now an old man. Year or so before he had written Philemon where he had called himself Paul the Aged. And he says the time of my departure is at hand. Actually, a whole generation is passing away. Owner Cyphorus is dead. Say hello to his family. Trimophius is sick. Rastus stayed in Corinth, maybe too old to travel. But Priscilla and Aquila are still going. The last view we get of them before they go over the hill, they are still in the fight, still in the work, still together. And Timothy, when you see them, remember to say hello for me. In the CMML Missionary Prayer Handbook, I count 293 married couples on the field or refocused, working together, serving together, acting as one. I think being a Christian is the best thing in the world. Being saved by faith in Jesus Christ and one of the best things about being a Christian is other Christians. Men and women who are born of the same faith in the spirit of God and rejoice in the same hope that we work together and weep together and come together again and again. And I think that we can look back over the pages of history and know Aquila and Priscilla because we know people like them. 
We know lots of people like them. They were in the vanguard of a new people who changed the world, not by fighting wars or wielding political power, but by carrying a message. Paul had a phrase for Christians that I love from 1 Thessalonians. He called them children of the day. You are the sons of the light and the sons of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness, but we who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Thank you so much for inviting me to your conference. Thank you for listening to me. I trust that you have found these discussions to be a good use of your time and that the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified in them. Again, thank you for this invitation. And now I will give it back to Calvin and those who are with you live. The Lord bless you. Thank you very much.